It is good to see all of you today, and uh, if you're visiting with us, we're especially pleased you're here. Uh, Just two quick announcements before we get started with the lesson. Um, This evening at 6 p.m., there will be reception in honor of uh, Charles Carolyn Ramsey and their family, so please make your plans to attend. That will be in the fellowship hall promptly at 6 p.m. this evening. And then, if you're a parent who has a kid in the youth group that has been West Broward all weekend, uh, we would encourage you not to leave and forget your kids, but to stay. They're on their way. They left around 11, and so they should be here around noon, so they should be here when we're done. So don't forget to run off and leave them here, uh, because Carlos will then have to take them home. And, um, and, and, and I don't know if you want to trust them at Carlos's, uh, discretion for the rest of the weekend. Uh, it, it could be, but, uh, but please, uh, I know they've had a good time and, uh, excited for what they've been able to experience there. Um, we've all been there, right? We've had a great vacation and then we have to go back to work. Uh, you've had a great weekend with your, Adult, uh, your adolescent kids up in West, but they're going to come back. Um, on a recent holiday weekend, Catherine and I took made the decision to drive down uh, to the Keys to have lunch and hang out by the water and just have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. And then we, along with I don't know how many other millions of people that were coming up from the Keys back to uh, the mainland, uh, got stuck in traffic on US-1 heading north. You know, it's just hard to return to life after a mountaintop experience. And last week we saw Peter, James, and John in what perhaps could be the most significant and uh, um, awe-inspiring mountaintop experience. They saw Jesus transformed into his true nature. Uh, They were surrounded by the very presence of God in the cloud They heard God speak directly from the heavens. It left them all speechless. Well, except for Peter, but he's a special case, right? But now, as they're walking down the mountain, Jesus is conversing with them about Elijah. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves at the bottom of the mountain. And now, rather than being surrounded by the quietness of being on top of a mountain with just the wind, they're surrounded by the noise of an unruly crowd. And rather than hearing the voice of God speaking praises about his son, now they hear the voice of people who are angry and arguing. Rather than the peaceful tranquility of being in the very presence of God himself, now they find themselves in the midst, in the middle of an unruly crowd. Their mountaintop experience is over. And now they're coming back to reality. In Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and following, we read, When they returned, the three plus Jesus, to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with these other disciples. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. And Jesus kind of pushes them aside, gets right to the middle, and says, What is all this arguing about? 
one of the men in the crowd spoke up. He said, Teacher, I brought you my son so you could heal him. He, in parentheses, but, but you weren't here. You weren't available. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people. Most likely directed at the disciples. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, a child. The spirit often throws him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Well, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, as he had done with other children who were dead in the book of Mark. He took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. You know, there's so many things in this story, in this narrative that jump out at us. And in the time that we have this morning, there's things that we won't cover that might leave you wondering. So I encourage you to spend some time with this text, perhaps conversing with others. But one of the things that I find kind of dominating this text is this idea of of, of, of disappointment, Dis disappointment. You know, when I read this, it seems like this could be happening today. There's the skepticism of the religious teachers, and evidently that's what the arguing was about because they said, well, if you're from God, heal this kid. You say that you guys have the truth. Do it. And the disciples are feeling frustrated and they're feeling anxious and they can't and they try and who knows how many times they might have tried. And that creates more tension. You have the despair of the father. 
Everybody, it seems, is disappointed with somebody in this text. The boy's father is disappointed with Jesus. You weren't here. Jesus is disappointed with his disciples. How long do I have to deal with you? When are you going to get it? My time is short. I I think the disciples are, are, are disappointed with themselves. But at the end of the day, the biggest disappointment is with God himself. Why didn't God do what he's supposed to do? One of the first books I read by Philip Yancey, who then became one of my favorite authors, Christian authors, uh, was entitled Disappointment with God. It's been out for, I think they recently uh, released a 25th annuary, uh, anniversary celebration copy or edition. But, but disappointment is a common theme in all of our lives, isn't it? We're disappointed with people in our family, maybe our spouse. We're disappointed perhaps with our parents or our children. Siblings are disappointed with one another. We get disappointed with people at church. We have this idea that once I become a Christian, I make this effort that things just should kind of all fall in place. I I come to God and I come to church to get my problems fixed. I've got plenty of problems out there, but when I come here, I expect them to kind of all fall into place. I go to the mountaintop and I experience this presence of Jesus and I go on a retreat or I spend a weekend and I come to church on Easter and I'm thinking, okay, now everything's going to be different. And I come back down the mountain and I find that the problems are still there and the conflict is still there. I come to Jesus and I come to church hoping to escape my sins, my addictions, my dysfunction and it just seems that it's still there and it seems the disciples were mulling this over because when they're finally alone after the healing and the crowd has gone and they're just with Jesus that's what's on their mind why what what happened what happened back there I thought we should be able to do that. And, and, and interestingly enough, earlier in, in, in the book of Mark, in chapter 3, we read how Jesus gave them the power to cast out evil spirits. So it's like, well, I thought this was supposed to work. <laughs> what happened? They were embarrassed. They were frustrated. They had failed. The teachers of the law were shoving it in their face. They should have done better. It's striking that their disappointment and their failure didn't negate God's power. Our disappointment in one another and even our disappointment in God doesn't stop him from doing his work. Jesus makes it clear that the failure of the disciples does not necessarily mean a failure on his part. After hearing the story, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And so then we have this interaction with the father. 
When you, you can hear the father's doubt, if you can, help us, have mercy on us. If you've ever sat beside the bed of your child or a loved one and and see them in pain, you know some of what this father has been through. Helplessly, not being able to do anything. Spending restless nights in prayer for someone's health or their illness or their addiction, their destructive behavior. And so this isn't the first time this man has sought healing. And you get a sense of that desperation when he says, well, if you can. So it makes Jesus' response a little harsh, it sounds like. He says, if you believe, it'll happen. It almost sounds glib. But you see, Jesus has a way of looking into our souls and seeing what our real issue is. Doctors have an ability to, when you show up saying, oh, I've got this problem, they'll keep digging until they find, oh, no, this is the real problem. One of the first symptoms of the sciatic pain I had was numbness in my toes. I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. Didn't go to the doctor because why would you, right? It's just numbness in your toes. <laughs> well, that would have been a clue to a doctor. I would have gone and said, hey, doctor, I'm here because I got numbness in my toes. Can you fix that? And he might have said something like, well, you know, that's probably coming from somewhere else. Let's do a study. And I would have thought, huh, go figure. And it wasn't until a couple weeks later that then the full pain came on. But that's what doctors do. They dig deeper. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants to help the boy, and he will, but he knows the father is struggling with something as well. And so after Jesus says, if I can, anything is possible for him who believes, the father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Before he asked, help us, have mercy on us. And then after his interaction with Jesus, he realizes, oh, the real problem is in my heart. Help me. Help me in my faith. You see, we would put the order backwards. It was like, you help the son, and then the father's faith will come along. You put the mask on the kid because you love them and you want the very best for them, and then you put the mask on yourself. Well, that's not how it works. Jesus deals with the father's faith first. Flight attendants will tell us to put the mask on. The deeper problem 
is the doubt that permeates through this father's heart. From Jesus' perspective, the evil spirit, we, we can handle that. But what I want to do is focus on this doubt. And what we see is that this man's doubt does not diminish God's power and his ability to act. I, I think especially among Christian groups, we're, we're, we're so afraid of doubt. And, and, and what Jesus does with this man's doubt is by emphasizing and highlighting it, what he's doing is like a doctor when, pardon the graphic and perhaps painful image, when a doctor lances a boil... <laughs> The moment of pain is also the moment of relief. All things are possible for him who believes. I I think the first place that refers to Jesus himself. He believed in God. And he has set his hope on the one who was true. I think it was true with the father. And sometimes we think that if we have doubt or someone we love has doubt, then then they're, they're a lost cause and, and you shouldn't express that doubt. And, and you just have to grin it and, and bear it or clench your teeth. But Jude tells us that we should be compassionate towards those who doubt. Because doubting is a real part of life in the valley after the mountaintop. His confession, I believe, but there's this part of me that's still struggling. Henry Drummond has said there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. Uh, Doubt is I'm struggling to believe. Unbelief is I choose not to believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light, and unbelief is being content with darkness. And Jesus was able to differentiate and discern when he talked to people whether what they were struggling with was unbelief or whether they were struggling with doubt. So, what does Jesus say to those of us who are struggling to believe? Who had such high hopes and, and lofty desires for a life with him that have been dashed to the earth, as it were, off the mountaintop? Those of us who, in our minds, had decided that we would never do that again, And then we find ourselves doing that again, whatever that might be. Something we said, something we thought about, something we did. What what, what does he say to those who are disappointed with the church? Whose problems are just so complex. What does he say to all of us who are just dealing with life? (laughs) The, The kind of... I guess I don't know if it's 
politically correct to call it the Chinese torture, but uh, um, uh, I'm almost Chinese, and so I guess it's okay. But um, the, the, the constant drip, drip, drip of, of life that just the car, the kids, the spouse, the job, the this, the that, the other. Well, Jesus has something to say about that. And you might not like it because it's way too simple. He says, bring it to me and then pray about it. (sighs) Pray about it? Really? (laughs) That's your answer? Jesus, how come we, how come we couldn't do what you said we were? You can only do this with prayer. Duh. We all know that. Maybe we didn't pray right. Maybe it was our posture. Maybe we need to pray in a different position. Or, or, or maybe we didn't pray long enough. Maybe that's what he wants is longer. Or, or maybe we didn't pray hard enough. Jesus is going to pray in the garden and his sweat will come like drops of blood. And so maybe that's the kind of prayer that really can 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 pull something like this off. Maybe it, it's the. And that's kind of how we respond. Trying to fix the techniques. But OK, now, wait a second. Jesus says you can only. Cast out demons, and you can only do this kind of thing except when you pray, right? Do you remember Jesus praying in this story? Never said that Jesus prayed. Many other stories Jesus prayed. He looked up to heaven, thanked God, did this. Jesus doesn't pray. And so I think that's a clue, at least to me, that what he's talking about is not a prayer. I think he's talking about a lifestyle that's connected to God all the time. And we want to get wrapped up in the technique that if you do this, 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 then you'll get result X. And what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is you just can't go out and expect to operate with my power if you're not connected to me. And not just because you pray once a week. Or not just when you have a problem that you'll pray. Or just when there's an issue you're going to pray. The the implication for me is that they were neglecting a lifestyle of prayer. And and think about it. If, If Jesus is right next to you, why should you have to pray? He's right there. He can handle it. And so I think they got out of the habit of praying. When Jesus asks them to pray later on in the garden and as he's approaching his death, what do they do? They weren't used to praying. And so he's reminding them that prayerlessness will lead you to powerlessness. And if you pray only when you have problems, you're going to come up short. And you think about God only when things are tough. Your relationship with God is going to be weak. And we all understand that. In other realms of our life, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I know that if I'm only nice to my wife on our anniversary, it's going to be a long year. (laughs) 
Jesus is pointing us to a deeper relationship with him. We're concerned about the external, and Jesus is concerned about our heart and soul. Jesus is concerned about the health of this young boy and heals him. The larger issue was the father's heart. Would he overcome his doubt? The larger issue was the disciples and their faithfulness. Would they adopt this lifestyle? Jesus knows his time is short. So as you think about your life and about your disappointments and about your doubt, let me just encourage you to not let your doubt and your disappointment distract you and deter you from seeking God. God will not be paralyzed by your doubt like we might be paralyzed. God doesn't get discouraged by our disappointment in him. God's shoulders are broad, and he can take it when we're upset with him. And what he asks is to enter into relationship. I remember taking a, one of my graduate counseling classes, and our, our professor said, one of the times that couples find intimacy and closeness is when they're arguing with one another. And all of us in the class looked at each other and said, what? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. That's when they're fighting. He says, yes, but they're engaging one another. They're looking at each other when they're doing it in a somewhat healthy fashion. They're drawing closer to one another. Even if you're angry at God and you're wrestling with him in your mind and you don't understand why this or that or the other is happening, that very act of being in conflict with God is drawing you closer to him. Don't be afraid of those feelings. Don't be afraid of the doubts that might creep into your mind. Address them, confess them, share them, and then let others walk alongside you and accompany you. Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When someone is mourning the loss or the struggle or or the doubt that they have, Paul doesn't say, correct them. Paul doesn't say, fix them. Paul doesn't say, overcome them with all these good arguments. He says, mourn with them, be sad with them. Walk with them. Our disappointments and our doubts don't have to distance us from God. They can actually draw us closer. I'm not sure where you are in your life today, if there's a way that we can pray with you. As I said, prayer sometimes seems like it's a weak answer. But whenever you think that, remember... There's things in life that you'll only accomplish if you have that prayerful life connected to God. Let's stand and sing, and if we can pray with you, please make your way to the front.